Welcome to the Build My Online Store podcast, where we discuss everything and anything about running an online store. If you like the podcast, sign up for the mailing list to get news and updates at buildmyonlinestore.com. And now, here's your host, Terry Lynn. Welcome to episode 36 of the Build My Online Podcast. I'm your host, Terry. And this week, I've got David Innes from San Diego CRM. We're going to talk about how to manage your customer data and to make better decisions off CRM. And so I got the inspiration for this episode when I started getting all these contacts in my email and Skype accounts. And I just couldn't figure out a way to kind of sort this out. And so I think everyone also has a box of business cards they have, either in the office or around their desk. I just collect them from various meetings and they're not stored effectively or even utilized effect- efficiently. So uh, David's here to tell us how he uses CRM to help clients uh, implement uh, the solutions and to make better business decisions. And so how it can also really drive business growth at a strategic level. And some news and updates about the show, I was checking iTunes today and we have 25 five-star iTunes reviews. Just want to say a big thanks for the support. If you like what we're doing here, you can also like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash store. And I put a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff on what happens behind the show on there, something like pictures and some random thoughts throughout the day. So if you're into that kind of thing, uh, like our page, facebook.com slash store. And the new iTunes and iPhone interface is kind of bad. And I, was, I just upgraded my iPhone 4 to OS 6 and it's just terrible to listen to podcasts there and so I've actually moved over to Stitcher Radio to listen to my favorite podcast so the cool thing about Stitcher is that if you listen to it on your phone and you stop and then you go back to your computer and you listen to it, it actually remembers where you stopped so uh, the other cool thing is that you don't need to sync the files uh, once you listen to the podcast so basically uh, and traditionally you would download the mp3 through iTunes sync it with your phone and listen to it in the car or whatever you're doing. But Stitcher, you don't have to. It just streams it right off the phone. So that's very cool. Now, if you want to check it out, you can check it out at buildmyonlinestore.com slash Stitcher to sign up. It's completely free. You might like it better than the current iTunes interface for podcasts. Okay, and the final thing, if you got a couple of e-commerce ideas that you're exploring where you haven't gotten started yet, uh, a keyword research and the SEO part is obviously very important. And so we'll be hosting a webinar on March 21st, Thursday in the evenings U.S. time. So this invitation is going out to members on the email list. So join up on the website if you're not on it yet. And we're going to talk about how to analyze the top 10 competitors on Google, what metrics to look out for, like backlinks, page rank, on-site optimization, and much more. Because as you know, Google is basically a zero-sum game. So so uh, the number one result takes more than half of the search traffic for a certain keyword. So you want to make sure when you're starting your store, uh, you can actually beat them and get on top uh, before you get knee deep into everything. So join up on the mailing list if you want more information. And let's get into this week's episode. This week, I've got David Innes from San Diego CRM, where we're going to talk about how to manage your customer data to make better business decisions. What's going on, David? Good afternoon. All right, so let's just start off from the top then. Kind of, how did you get into the CRM business and kind of what is CRM just in a nutshell? I, I started off in healthcare, actually, and, and worked in hospitals as a, as a hospital uh, IT person. I started off you know, fixing computers and things like that, and then Ended up being a, a chief information officer and, and a project manager for, you know, rolling out, you know, digital radiography and telemedicine for the state of Alaska and Hawaii and things like that. I've always been in sales and I've always been in the uh, 
you know, the process of, of tracking leads and, and cutting deals, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I started using the, uh, the, the very famous CRM system called Yellow Notepad that I think that is still being used today. And, and the other one is the Back of Business Card CRM system. What you end up with is this, all this data. And so I, I actually started using Salesforce.com back in uh, probably, I don't know, 2000, 2001 to manage my own business. And like a lot of folks, it was primarily used to track people, you know, kind of a Rolodex, if you will, a, a glorified contact list. After I sold that company, um, I was up in San Francisco and I sit on a, a web 2.0 board or I did at the time. And I met some guys from Salesforce and, and one thing led to another and, and we became a, a partner down here in San Diego, Southern Cal. And we started working with them and, and they were referring business to us and things like that. Here we are in 2013 and I've, I've, I've set up now, you know, 850 some companies in CRM system. Now you asked what I thought, what, what CRM is. There's many definitions of it and there's many beliefs on, on what the thing is, but what it comes down to and what I really believe CRM is all about is data. Okay. It's information. And because if you look at a customer and, you know, people say that the CRM is, you know, customer relationship management or client relationship management. Well, but the reality is this customers don't just come to be, you know, they don't just pop up into your, into your email one morning and say, I'm now a customer. There's an entire cycle of events and, and things that we do to turn, you know, a, a stranger out there in the world into a customer. And then there's a whole nother set of things that we do to maintain a relationship with them after they become a customer, right? So you have this, you know, in, in healthcare, we call it cradle to grave. And it, it's really the same thing here in that a, a customer or a, a person with whom you have a relationship, the relationship goes through phases and the relationship doesn't end necessarily until, you know, one of you dies. As an offshoot of that relationship, you now create, you know, these tangential relationships. You know someone at one company, so then you get to know five other people at those companies at, or at the same company, and then those four or five people, they move on after a couple of years and move to other companies and now you know people at five other companies. So you have this multiplication effect going on. With the advent of social media and LinkedIn and Facebook and, you know, Reddit and all these other kinds of social things overlaid on top of it, we now can create relationships with people that we never would normally meet. So CRM to me is this, this idea. It's a philosophy more than it is a tool or anything else. It's a philosophy of understanding how we work with data and work with the, the data about people in our business in our lives. There's a lot of tangents we can jump into later, but the big picture kind of is like it's lifetime value of a customer bundled with the relationship you have with them until whenever that period of time ends, basically, right? Right. And then added to that is who else does this person know or what other companies does this person have contact with or influence with that now can be used? How do I have a relationship with someone and within that relationship, the relationship is such that I can get referral, right? Or I can be introduced to another person at a different company, or I can, I can gain information about a particular type of business or a particular role in a business, which allows me then to use that to gain traction or gain 
more market share in another industry because I have related knowledge. I see. And it's, it's because really with social media, you can see the connections people have among each other, right? It's kind of an extra reach kind of from the CRM system that ties it together now. Well, sure. If you look back, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you would have, you know, people worked at a company and, and that was their company, but then maybe they, they belong to a, an organization, you know, whether it was, you know, the, the, uh, the Eagles or whether it was the VFW or they did something outside of work that was social. But what happened was there was a very clean break in between, usually between work and outside of work kind of thing. And now with social media, what you have is there's a connection because now I can go see through LinkedIn or through Facebook or through other places. I can see that a person works for a, you know, company X, but I can also see that he is a troop leader for the Boy Scout, or I can see that he, which church he goes to. So we now in business for good, bad, or indifferent, we have the ability to reach out and touch people in a way that is not necessarily direct. You know what I mean? It's not like picking up a phone and calling a guy saying, Hey, you know, I want to sell you my products or, Hey, I'm going to spam you with email. It's this ability to, to sideways get into a conversation with someone that is completely outside your normal sphere of influence. If you will. Yeah. And so how did CRM work before we had technologies like social media, Salesforce, Oracle, and all these things? It, it was those famous, it was those two famous uh, CRM systems that I told you about. It was, it was the yellow legal pad CRM system. It was the back of business card CRM system. It was Rolodex card. And, and really what it came down to was the guy who was the most gregarious, you know, the people that were the most involved in the community, you know, they, they went to the, the theater or they, they, you know, they, they were part of the civic activities. They ended up with this Rolodex of people that they knew that they had acquaintance with. Maybe it wasn't business. Maybe it wasn't directly personal, but they knew them. And so social media or, or this, this notion of, you know, CRM, if you will, whatever you want to call it, was this idea of being able to connect the dots between two different people that wouldn't necessarily be visible, right? So two people working at two different companies in two different roles. You know, you have a CFO or a, a, a let's say back then you really didn't have IT guys, but you had, maybe you had like a manufacturing or a general manager of a company being somehow related to the, uh, the, the guy that works in the warehouse of another company, right? There are two different levels of in, within the companies, but yet they, they shared a, a relationship through maybe their church or maybe through something else. And it was invisible. I think what CRM and social does is it makes the invisible visible. Even if you don't see it on a LinkedIn or in a Facebook, you can within your own CRM system, whatever system you use, you can then create that linkage and show that linkage so you not only remember it and, and you, you can act upon it, but it also makes it visible to others in your company. So this is where we step now one more dimension out saying, okay, I have a relationship with these people. Now I want to be able to say, well, because I have a relationship with these people, now maybe my company can use that relationship or leverage my relationship with them to help sell a product uh, or a so before the call, we met, you mentioned how uh, people should use CRM as a hammer, and it's kind of not you just buy the hammer, but it's kind of how you use it. Can you <laughs> just go into that example a little bit more? Right, right. Okay. 
I, I think I think what happens is in in the world today, uh, I think a lot of times you know entrepreneurs, young companies, you know people that have a product or service that they're coming up with, they're very good at what they do, and so because they're very good, they they naturally amass contacts and, and people come to them and they want to buy their product or service. They want to do this kind of stuff. And so it gets to the point where it's a tipping point where they can't manage the data manually anymore, whether it's in Outlook or whether it's in, you know, uh, written down on legal pads or whether it's on a whiteboard, whatever the, whatever the medium is, they get to a point where they cannot manage it effectively anymore. So they go out and they buy a CRM because they figure, okay, I'm going to go buy the CRM. And because I have the CRM, automatically by some magic bullet, this thing is just going to organize my life for me. And I, that's really the absolute worst way to go about this. The example is this. I could go to Home Depot or the hardware store today, and I could go buy a set of mechanics tools. Okay. Now, because I have mechanics tools, one would think, well, I have all the tools and all the things required to work on my car and change the oil or maybe, you know, put in a camshaft in or, or do something there. But the reality is, but because I have a car, because of the tools, does not mean that I can fix the car. It just means that I have the raw materials to do so, the tools. So CRM, just like anything else, is a tool set. And, and it, it, it's the hammer that the craftsman wields. It's, it's, the other analogy is it's the toaster. All I really care about is toast, right? When I get up in the morning, I want toast and coffee. I don't really care that I have a, a toaster that the little wires inside are heated to 182 degrees and it, and it toasts it, it in 14.9 seconds. I don't care about that. All I care about is toast. So the new model, I think where we're going with this is that the computer system that you use or the CRM that you use has no bearing whatsoever on what you do. It is just a utility like electricity or water. It is a means to an end. If you don't, do it right. If we take that electricity analogy, if I'm building a house and I don't plan out my electrical power grid in that house before I build it, to try and put it in after I just throw it in is going to be a complete nightmare. Same thing here. Any architect will tell you that you must plan for the entire growth or built of your, of your property before you build it. And they also do due diligence to make sure that you have expandability or extensibility so that if you do put an add-on room or if you do, you know, expand your living room, you're not going to run out of capacity. Same with CRM. In any system like this, you need to approach it with the thought process saying, I'm not going to be reactive. I'm not just going to do it because I have too many contacts to manage. I'm going to implement CRM because I want it to be a strategic part of my business or my life. And so because it becomes strategic, you're going to think about it and you're going to put a little bit of effort into understanding what it is you want to do for you. Today's CRM systems like Salesforce and, and whatnot are, are much more than just sales. It is all the way from, you know, demand generation, from your marketing campaigns, marketing tools, whether it's social, whether it's email, whether it's, you know, direct outbound calling, faxing, whatever the case would be, demand gen through initial contact, through pre-qualification, lead qualification, account creation and management, contact management, opportunity sales tracking, contract management, relationship management, case and support, RMAs, you know, trouble tickets. So you can take the entire company and, and put the company into a package which is unified. And that's what we see more and more of today 
is I'm, I'm spending more time working with companies that are not just looking to implement a sales tool, they're looking to implement a business tool, which handles, you know, kind of the entire gamut. So, you know, think of SAP or, or you know, Oracle, but only for small business. I see, I see. So is it right when I say that it doesn't really matter kind of which system you pick now, it's more of your mentality and your approach to kind of how you use it afterwards? Is yeah, and, and, and the, I, would, I would always hazard people, don't implement the CRM that you think you like the best. Implement the CRM that matches the process that you're doing, okay? Because everything we do is a process. And, and I think, if anything, if we remember that everything in the world can be broken down to at least some sort of a process, which is repetitive or, you know, it has, it's effort-driven. People are doing certain things at certain times. Well, there are certain CRM systems that do things better than others. If you want an integrated accounting package, then you can go you know, with Salesforce or you can go with, with NetSuite. If you want it to be very contact-sensitive, where it's more about a personal relationship, you go to like an act. If you're looking for something that's, you know, online versus, you know, something that you install and support, then there's another way to look at it. But I think you first have to look at what it is you're trying to accomplish. Why are you implementing? What is it? Are you looking to organize your marketing activities and, and understanding your marketing ROI? So do I really need to invest a whole lot of money in SEO or, or Google AdWords? Or is, is the market for my product or service not even looking at that stuff and they're only going social? Without empirical data, it's very difficult to make those kinds of decisions. And one of the ways you get that data is through the use of a, of a database or some sort of a CRM. You know, if you're in a continuous business improvement cycle where you always want to spend less money and make more, then what you need to do is you have to understand who your customers are, where they're coming from, how they're communicating with you and, and how they react to certain things. And you can only do that when you have statistical data, which is driven by information. Otherwise, you're kind of flying blind uh, just with your marketing efforts in some ways too, right? Oh, yeah. You, you, be, you know, I, you'd be very surprised that when I talk to a lot of companies, especially startups, what I hear is they tell me, Dave, our, our customers are X, Y, and Z, and our market is this. But then once we start drilling into it and start looking at the data and manipulating it and looking at the actual statistics, we find out they were not actually correct. The market that they thought was bringing their bread and butter was bringing much less. And these hidden markets, these ones that were aggregating across, that's where the lion's share of the revenue was coming. But they didn't realize it because they had a preconceived idea, right? And when, when people get an idea in their head, it's very hard to convince them otherwise unless they're presented with overwhelming truth. Mm -hmm. so, so before we get deep into this, like, kind of, how do you actually dig up this kind of metrics that you're talking about now? Is there like a process you go through? Can you go over that briefly real quick? Sure. One of, one of the big things that we do, and, and this comes back to my, my training and my MBA and, and you know, kind of a business experience, is that I have to understand, first off, what it is the company is, is trying to accomplish right? Because there's got to be a driver. There's got to be a pain point of why they're putting in a system. Then the first thing we do is now we know why we, we go in and I completely process map and interview all of the departments in the organization from beginning customer contact all the way through to the end so that I can understand what it is they think that they do. Okay. And it, it's a very, very interrogative and it's a very interactive process where we completely flow chart a company 
in color. So you have, you know, different departments or different colors, and we talk about where they do things and when they do things. And so we can kind of come up with this, you know, very documented, replicatable process, which I can present back to them and say, okay, here's your business. This is your business objectively saying, if they do this, this is what you do. Now, once you get them to agree to the fact that this is what they actually do, then you can come back and say, okay, now based on this, here are where I think your KPIs are, your key performance indicators. So we start talking about, okay, we, we, we know how many new inquiries we get, let's say from the web. Well, of those inquiries, we want to know how many are coming from this country or that country, how many are coming by way of this medium or that medium. So we can start generating KPIs. Then we say, what's our first major milestone in, in the communication? Then we start talking about timing. We start looking at conversion ratios. We start looking at other KPIs there. And so we just build through their diagrams, through their process, so that we overlay another layer on there, which is based upon your flow, here's where your KPI should be. Then when we do that, we can start looking at it mathematically and saying, okay, if we know A and we know B and we know C, then we should be able to deduce or mathematically compute E, F, and G. And so a lot of companies that's based upon revenue, it's based upon conversion, you know, manufacturing companies always look, look at things like, you know, total cost of goods sold versus revenue coming in. So, you know, they're, they're not only looking at increasing revenue, but decreasing cost. So what you, again, this comes back to that initial question of why are you doing what you're doing? You know, what is the reason? And, and if people can get a very good grasp and through coaching, they can distill down that reason for implementation or reason for the business driver then they approach it with a different set of expectations, which I think is more in line with actual KPIs and, and success. So you're literally breaking down their whole sales funnel from the top all the way to the bottom and mapping each, each little point out where there's an interaction. You can actually measure it and then tweak it as you go, right? Oh, yeah, and that's, that's just sales. Now, remember, you have marketing, sales operations, and, and follow-on customer support. But just within sales, I mean, we, we get down to the point where it's saying, okay, Customer presents on the website, they fill out a form, and we're going to, okay, we're going to generate an auto-response here. So if they answer this in the web form, we want to automatically send an email that says this. And then what we want to do is we want to trigger out, you know, some workflow tasks to our, 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 our sales team to make some phone calls. And then 10 days after that, we want to do this. And then we want to do 15 days. If they choose this, we want to go here. So it's the whole marketing map and the drip follow-on kind of stuff, right? Which allows the system, if you think of it, to, to do some work for you, some of the busy work. So, you know, the, the, the constant touch to the customer happens. Then, as well as that, it, it's also a big training component because, you know, you want to make sure that the salespeople and the folks that are working with the system understand why they're doing it as well. So there's a natural progression into doing sales training and, and sales executive, account executive knowledge because a lot of folks these days don't get formalized training. And so here's an opportunity to sit down with VP of sales, director of sales, and help them train their sales staff on a very, you know, a structured way of selling or, you know, unstructured if they're selling to consumers. But there's a lot of benefits to this. It's not just one. So you you really try and stretch the customer's dollar as far as you can. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, a company I work for, we have this kind of internal 
CRM system and it has like how many calls you made, the blast email rate and like open rates and all this stuff. And it's interesting when they pull it by country, they can tell each manager, hey, you know, here's how many people, how many calls you guys made, you know, how compared to last month and like how it's, it's all mapped out. And it's crazy when you see this data actually presented in a form, I think. Right. And now, and now watch this, Terry. If you know your conversion rate on a website, the next dimension is, okay, we know that we had X number of people coming from this country. Well, what products did they buy? And how many times did it take us to call them to get them to buy? And what percentage of those people came from this industry? Or what, what percentage of those people are follow-on sales or you know, repeat sales versus new sales? You know, you, you can go to Google Analytics and you can go to, you can go to these tools and get one dimension of data. But the, the, the real trick here is this, you know, quasi business intelligence thing, which is to be able to run the reports and say, okay, what does it take to not only get a, someone to hit me on the website, but what does it take to get that person to actually become a repeat customer? Not just the first customer, but a repeat. And then how do I get them to refer other customers? So they become adjunct salespeople for me. They love us so much that they're going out and telling all their friends and family. And do you also help clients set up systems to get people to be repeat customers uh, in that aspect? Well, sure, because again, and now you're talking about this whole notion of customer management, right? Because it's far, it's far less costly and time-consuming to get a repeat customer than it is a, a new customer unless you have terrible customer service. Right. If you have terrible customer service, then obviously that, you know, it, it goes off the scale as far as, you know, you have to win these people back. The, the client management of it is this. Once a transaction takes place, the initial sale, whatever that is, then it really becomes in a, it's more important than what you do with a customer than it is in the sales cycle. Because now once they purchase, they feel that you, you know, to some extent that you owe them a certain amount of loyalty and a certain amount of um, attention, right? And the bigger the purchase, the larger the thing, you know, the more convoluted and the more time that they've invested in it is it then automatically puts them in a position where they have a sense that, you know, you should be investing back in them as a customer. So the, the, the companies that do the best are the ones that say, okay, as soon as the sale is done, they ramp up their contact and they ramp up their customer service, you know, at a much, much higher level initially for the customer once the sale is done. Because it's that, in, it's that initial kind of window where after they just buy, they expect this, right? Well, yeah. Yeah, they, they call it the honeymoon period and this other kind of stuff. But I think what you really have to do is you have to set the expectation with the customer. Once they buy, they become really, you know, one of the family. And because they're one of the family, we're going to take care of you and, and we're going to be there for you. And, you know, whether it's selling TVs or, or vitamins, it doesn't matter. A, a customer, especially in today's economy with, with the way money is going and the way that, that business is going, you, you really have to make sure that customers feel like you value them because there are so many options. If, if they don't like, they may like your product. But because they don't like the customer service that they got from your company, they'll go to another product, right? They'll do it not because they want the other product more, but because they want yours less. You know, you, you look at something like a commodity, like a television. I can go to Walmart and buy a TV, or I can go to Best Buy, or I can go to Sears, I can go to Fry's or anywhere else. Where I'm going to go to buy that television is, is largely dependent upon 
what kind of customer service am I going to get there? What kind of support am I going to get after I buy the thing? Right. And, you know, even in tangibles, like, you know, how far do I have to walk carrying that thing across the parking lot? Well, seriously. I mean, if you go to these, maybe some stores where, you know, you, you park two miles away, well, I'm not going to walk, you know, pushing a cart with a television set. If, if they have a, a service where I can buy it and pull right up to a loading dock and they'll put it in my truck for me and, you know, make sure it's all protected and stuff. Hey, that's a big deal. So what you do is you can use CRM for business improvement. The CRM should never be just, okay, hey, I made a sale and now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forget about these people until, you know, a year goes by. I'm going to try and sell them something else. This should be really a global exercise where you say, all right, we have customer data. How can we use this customer data to better help our customers, right? And, and so now you start talking about surveys and you start talking about quality surveys and net promoters and, and scoring people. So now on the back end, what you're doing is you're getting some, some feedback, a feedback loop, if you will, from the customers, not only on how the sale went, but how their care has been after the sale. Because now you can change some things in the company such that your salespeople can start positioning the customer and level setting their expectations. Because maybe the customers are expecting something that you just cannot deliver. But if, if you know that, then you can put a trigger point in the sales process that says, hey, salesperson, remember to tell the customer that this is going to be their support after the fact, right? Set that up ahead of time. And maybe you front load that process so that you introduce a support person early on in the sales cycle instead of later. But you never know these things until you've gone through the process and you truly understand the data. Oh, sure. So what, what are some kind of things that uh, startups miss in, within CRM that the enterprise guys have got really gotten down? A couple of things. Number one, the issue is this. Startup guys are moving so fast that they don't take the time to, to engage customers as much or as deeply as they should. Okay. Because, you know, there's this buzz, there's this excitement, there's this whole notion that, you know, we're, we're growing and, you know, we're, we're all over the web and we're running around, we're going to, you know, get coffee here, there and everywhere. The, the, the thing that the enterprise guys do is they take the time to analyze and understand things a little bit more. Right. So, what the thing with the, the startup guys is this, take that extra 10 seconds, even though it, it seems like it's an eternity, to gather information on your customers every single call. If, if, I, if I had one thing that I could tell companies is this, every time you touch a customer, you should be getting something else from them. You should be you know, talking about something else within your company and another service you do, obviously, and, and cross-selling and upselling, but you should always be gathering information on the customer. So you always want to make them feel like you care and you're repeating back to them and you're gathering information that is that, that you're, that you have value to them. So whether it's, you know, finding out their kids' names or what their kids, what sports they play or getting an extra phone number from them or, or finding out that, uh, you know, they're new to, they're new to Twitter and, you know, Hey, we know some people that you might want to talk to that could help you out with Twitter. Right. Or, you know, even if it has nothing to do with your business whatsoever, if you can provide a value add in that relationship at the same time getting information, you then end up with a much deeper data set so that when the next person talks to them, 
they, the relationship is, is already well established. So number one is slow down a little bit. And I know it's very tempting and it's, and it's very, it's very easy to kind of go very fast. So number one is slow down. Number two is this, just because you're, you're good on the web and just because you have a product that is very, very good, doesn't mean that you are uh, an expert salesperson or an expert anything, right? The, the, the notion that because you're good in one area automatically means you're great in every area is, is not true. It all boils down to this, is get help, right? Get help. And, you know, if, if I wanted to go and, and have an operation done on one of my children, I, I certainly wouldn't put an ad on Craigslist for the cheapest brain surgeon, right? And, and have some guy meet me in the parking lot, you know, and, and want to do brain surgery in the back of his van. I would go and I would find the, the professional people that have the credentials and that have the experience that I'm looking for. Is it going to cost me a little bit more upfront? Yeah, it will. But will the outcome be better in the end? I, I think so. So, you know, one of the things for any startup is this. Find consultants or find people that have done the same thing that they're doing. Don't, don't bring in a CRM consultant or a consultant to implement a system that has no clue what it is you do for a living. It, it's that notion that if, if you're going to be a high-speed, low-drag company, like a startup or whatever the case would be, don't have someone who, who worked at GE for 27 years come in and build your CRM. And nothing to say bad about GE. I think they're an excellent company. But the, the mentality of a GE or a mentality of a, of a Coca-Cola is going to be a lot different than a, a, a startup because they're dealing with a different set of realities. So again, what it comes down to is slow down, get people to help you, even if it's to give you advice on the thing, right? And then lastly, I would say, don't, don't choose a CRM based upon what the CRM is. Don't start with the tools in mind. I don't go to, I don't go to the hardware store and buy a set of wrenches, you know, metric or non-metric and say, well, I bought metric tools. So now I got to go buy a car. I can only buy cars that, that use metric tools. Right? I've just completely limited my purchasing ability based upon an idea of what I have. You need to, you need to start bigger picture and then find the tools that will fit your picture. And so this, I have another tangent here. Do you find that a lot of the new startup kind of millennial guys don't realize it's kind of really old school relationship building that's a big part of this too? There's nothing, there's nothing about the internet that, or you know, the, the new purchasing methodology, whether it's Amazon or, or Zappos or anything else, there's still interaction with the customer and you still need to have the customer feel like they're getting value for what it is that they do. In a, in a purely transactional world where there is absolutely no interaction whatsoever, right? In a hundred percent transactional, then, you know, there, there is some notion that, well, you know, we don't really have to deal with our customers too much. I think it's, it's a misnomer because you know, guys that sell, you know, guys that sell uh, sports tickets online, you know, it's like you just go to the website and you, you put in your credit card and, and away you go. Well, okay, great. But what happens when the credit card doesn't go through? Or what happens when they want to do a return? What happens if they want to transfer or change or add tickets or, you know, whenever you're dealing with the support issues after the fact, now you're talking to the customer and whatever impression they got on the sales side is going to carry through the support. Everything we do, every conversation we have with a customer has, you know, far-reaching ramifications because someone's going to have to come up later on and talk to these guys, right? So 
you may you may talk to them today and it may not be a very good conversation because the guy is not very happy and you would think that it has no impact. No big deal. I'm not going to talk to the guy again. Well, maybe you might not, but someone else in your company will. And when they do talk to them, it's going to come up. Because customers don't forget. You know, if, if you take the, the old school philosophy of what you said, customer relationship building, and just use the new tools to manage it, I think that's where you want to be. People still need to talk to people, but we now have a way of, of connecting people together that we never did before. Yeah, like the way I see it is basically the internet and these tools just make everything more efficient. Although the you know behind the scenes the relationship and you know things between people haven't really changed. It's just you do it faster, you do it quicker, or you do it digitally now. And that's the, that's the goal. But I, I found a lot of times where the implementation of, of software systems to do this has actually convoluted the process to the point where it becomes too complicated. So there's there's a balance. You know, you don't do technology just for technology's sake. Right, this this idea that I have to do the latest and greatest thing because it's the latest and greatest thing, that doesn't necessarily apply. You know, if 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 your business is one that is very high customer touch and it's very interactive where it's live, you know, you have customers coming to your place of business, then you know, sitting there behind a computer screen and typing the whole time you're talking to them is probably not a good idea. If you're in a relationship or a type of business where you're online with people or they're emailing you or, or you're on the phone with them, then it's a little different because, you know, eye contact and, and you know, being physically in the presence of someone is, is a different type of thing than, you know, just talking to someone on the phone or, or email. And so uh, let's kind of go into a little bit about social media a little bit. And so, you know, obviously there's some synergies there. Uh, do you see... Uh, CRM systems integrating this in, or how have they been kind of using this data together? Okay, well, you got you have two sides of this house because you have the business to business sales, right? Business to business corporate stuff, and then you have the personal sales. You know, the consumer type stuff. If, if we talk about if we talk about the consumer stuff, I think you know it's it's a home run. This whole you know the, the the social networking and the viral videos and Facebook and fan pages and contests and you know, the ability to reach out to a disparate people group through social media in a non-threatening way, right? If, if someone calls me and says, hey, would you like to buy Coca-Cola today? I'm probably going to say no, right? But if I go and I, I'm on Facebook and I see one of my friends and my friends are doing something that's kind of cool and they're in an event that's sponsored by Coke, right? Then all of a sudden I think to myself, well, okay, that's a good product because my friend does things associated with them, right? So it, it connects that dot for me. Um, you know, the, the whole notion of the fan books and the, and the Facebook pages and Twitter and being able to do, you know, social media only specials, right? If you follow us on Twitter, we'll put some specials out there every once in a while. And, and only if you go to Twitter do you get this stuff. What it does is it, it, it generates this brand loyalty, right? Because they feel like I'm getting something special because I'm here. So on, on, the, on the, the consumer level social, I think it's absolutely incredible. You know, the ability to do support and the ability to communicate to your, your, you know, your customers about, about issues related to products and services is, is really very, very powerful because it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They can search for things. You know, you, you don't have to necessarily answer the same question a thousand times. You answer it once and you put it out there for people. Okay. Um, on the corporate side, 
I think there's a lot of room for improvement because I think some companies are doing it very well. You know, if you look at, at companies that are selling, you know, equipment or products, which are very tangible, right? You know, they're selling, they're selling computers or they're selling services, you know, backup data backup services, or, you know, even if it, you know, we're going to come to your office and clean your office and those sorts of things. When you start talking about consulting or, or, more intangible type services, I think it's a little more difficult with social because it's very easy to make a misstep, right? You know, as well as I do, that things go viral very, very quickly. So it, you, you can put a positive message out there and it can you know, spread like wildfire. But at the same time, a negative or a misinterpreted message can also go very quick. You know, companies that work for years building their brand awareness and building their brand can blow it by, you know, putting the wrong message out on social because it's misinterpreted and then it spreads and then all of a sudden it becomes, you know, very interesting. But, you know... Like how Papa John's had that pizza fiasco, I think, a year ago. and <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, how, how long did that really take? It, it probably took, you know, what, a day for it to, to really go worldwide? That would have never happened before. That, you know, would have been a regional thing at best. Now you have this idea that you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to connect my company to the, to the internet, to the world, so that anything I do is going to be, you know, pretty much online and available to view pretty much as fast as it happens. Things are made and, and torn down very quickly in today's world. It's funny, like, you know, like this Papa Johnson was a year ago, and here we are, you know, in 2013, and it comes up in our minds, and who knows how much they spent on brand building and marketing, right? Well, yeah, and, and a lot of that brand building took years and years and years. Right, because it was the conventional, you know, we're gonna we're gonna build our, our customer base, you know, one happy customer at a time. And, you know, they go through all the iterations of, of you know, internal process, you know, realignment and, and process improvement and everything else. It only took that one kind of faux pas and all of a sudden, you know, it, it it's like, wow, how how fast things can be undone. You know, there's also a lot to be said for a purposeful kind of a spin on these things, right? throw something weird out there and, and you can use social in that way to use the, 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 the exponential information flow to, to do something a little bit wacky. And, and companies have done that. And I think they've been pretty successful at it where they do something, you know, you think about GoDaddy, right? GoDaddy. This is probably one of the, of all of the companies that I know of, this is one that, that does these probably the best. You know, you have Danica Patrick, who's a race car driver. So let's, let's think about the setting here. Danica Patrick is a race car driver. She drives NASCAR cars or something like that, right? She is the spokesperson for a company that does website and web hosting and, and email. There could be nothing that is further apart. People that drive 200 miles an hour on a racetrack or people that sit and do domain registration. What you have is Bob, the, the CEO of, of GoDaddy, said, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to brand us as being this, you know, we do what we do, but at the same time, we're going we're gonna to bring in these race car drivers and these other types of folks, and what we're going to do is we're going to spin our company in a way that people will come and see what's going on with GoDaddy, but have no interest whatsoever in what we sell. Because they want to go see Danica Patrick. They want to go see the commercials. They want to go see what's going on with GoDaddy, but they don't really have anything to do with domain registrations or emails or things. What happens is that it, it puts it in the back of their mind. 
that GoDaddy's a cool company because they've got like, Danica Patrick working with them. So when all of a sudden they go to work for a company or they do a startup and they say, well, I need email and I need domain registration. Who do I call? Well, it's, it's such an obscure kind of a thing in a lot of circles. They go, well, the only thing I can remember is Danica Patrick. Well, let's go check out that GoDaddy thing. You know, so, you know, this Sunday, this Sunday is the Super Bowl, right? And there's going to be all these commercials on, and every single one of those commercials is put there with a very strategic purpose. Every one of those is designed to do something. Either it's to go and it's to get um, new customers or designed to talk to their existing customers or it's designed to, you know, to, to put a negative spin on a competitor or something. But every single one of those, every single one of those commercials is going to elicit some sort of a response from the customers. That's the CRM because how I capture that and how I understand what's going on on the output side of that thing, that's true CRM because, you know, God knows they're going to spend a lot of money to put those commercials on the air. And, you know, how are they going to know if they met their desired outcome? Exactly. And they can measure that through how many people share it on social, go back to the website after they see it, or do whatever actions in the commercial. Maybe there's like a call to action there is. in the commercial or something. Right. And then, then what you do is you follow downstream and you say, okay, how, how much did our sales increase over the next 30 days? And do we put some sort of a, of a, of a code or do we have, you know, do we do QR codes or we put some sort of a link in there, which is hidden, which passes data into the CRM? So we know where these leads are coming from, or we know where these people are coming from, right? So now, not only can we start measuring the numbers, but we can measure who they are, what is their gender, what is their nationality, what's their ethnicity. So we're starting to get dimensions of data that we could never really get before. We can never do anything with before because they were just pieces of information floating around. Now with CRM, we can really say, well, who are my customers? Right? Who are they? Where do they come from? How do they act? And what do they do? And, and once you can start modeling a customer like that, it makes your marketing that much easier. And you're not spending money after, you know, tilting windmills thinking that, you know, well, I think that if I do this, they'll come and buy my stuff. Well, now you have a more of a notion of, well, I know if we do something like this, they come and buy our product. Yeah, interesting. So it's a big mindset change from CRM just being a Rolodex, bridging it with marketing, customer development, and even management, and kind of what you talked about uh, this whole time. Rolodex is our CRM, if you think about it, because, you know, in your head, you know who the person is who you're going to call, and you know what you're going to talk to them about, and you use the Rolodex to track their phone numbers and things like that. That's, you know, kind of in a base level. Um, but you really have to think about CRM now being what is my competitive advantage? You know, how do I, how do I become a better company and how do I do better for my customers? You know, how do I make their experience better um, and more fulfilling dealing with me and dealing with my company? Yeah. Interesting. interesting. All right. And so just kind of one of the wrapping up here, is it hard to switch between CRM systems as you kind of, if you want to change or? Well, I, you know, I think that the number one thing to remember is that data, the data is the biggest part of any CRM system, Right. The, the actual apparatus that you use to manipulate the data and whatnot is, you know, to a great extent, they're, they're pretty similar. There's, there's not that many out there that are radically different from each other. Um, the, the big thing is this. Once you build a process, and once you have a, a process, whether it's sales or marketing, operations, whatever, once you have that process documented and you start filling data out into a template or into a system to feed that system, right, to feed it, 
once you do that, you're going to put it into a certain format and, and the tables and the database and things get arranged specific to that design. Well, if you plan on implementing a new system and changing the design, well, now what you've just done is you've created an, an increase in your workload to do the conversion because, you know, all of a sudden now the data that I had on the person is going to be over here or, you know, maybe I'm going to get, you know, different elements of data from the company instead of, instead of calling on the use HubSpot or I'm going to do something else or I'm going to change the way that we do marketing so our lead qualification process changes. Well, what you have to do is, yeah, any new data is going to be easy because that's all new entries. But what am I going to do with all my historical? Because the historical data is your statistics, right? You want to maintain your reportability on it, and you want to maintain what you're able to do with it, but at the same time, you need it to conform to the new model. So that's, that's, that's the crazy part of, of changing. So that's why, you know, folks that say, well, you know, I'm going to start off with something and, and I, I used Act at a company before, or I used Salesforce before, or I used NetSuite at my last company, and so I'm going, to, I'm going to go with something that's comfortable. That may or may not be the best way to go because you may build yourself into a box so that when you do try and convert over later, it, it becomes, you know, open heart surgery instead of just, you know, changing your diet. I would just, you know, we just go back to that, that original concept, which is really take a good hard look at why you want to implement and what you want to do with it before you choose the tool. Okay. And so for kind of a new startup e-commerce store who's selling their products online, uh, they want to keep in touch with kind of in a B2C environment. Uh, are, are there any systems that you would kind of recommend people to take a look at, kind of maybe two or three, or what are your thoughts on that? Well, if, if you're going to put an, an e-commerce website out, then, you know, you have this idea already that, you know, you may have to do some sort of interface. So if you're in, you know, you're in Drupal or you're in MySQL or whatever you're in. So you, you automatically have to start thinking about, okay, what is the environment in which my my e-commerce site is built, right? And if you can control that before you put the CRM in, then you may want to think about, you know, how do I build this together? In other words, build them at the same time or in, in a way that they, that they can easily talk to each other because it's, it's very difficult to try and transform things after the fact. It's a lot easier to design it from the, from the get-go. Now, you can say, well, I'm going to put just a simple shopping cart out there and, you know, I want to be able to have my client data from the, from the e-commerce site go into my CRM. Well, okay, that's, you know, if you're going to do an API, you know, a REST API, or you're going to do web services or whatever you're going to do with it, you should know what those are ahead of time and know what systems can support it. Now, I'm a big fan of Salesforce these days, and we do more of that than anything else because the force.com platform, one of the cool things about it is this you can build an e-commerce site directly on top of Salesforce. They're called Salesforce sites. So if you think about it, I have an inventory of products that I sell or services. If I want to advertise those on the web, what do I normally do is I go out and I build myself an e-commerce site, and the e-commerce site has, you know, lists of my products and the price points and things like that. Well, the Salesforce site takes all the information that you build into the system in Salesforce and publishes it out to the web. And then you can connect it over to your, your, your merchant bank and your, you know, your web company, whether it's authorized.net or whatever the case would be to do your transaction. But because the site is built on top of Salesforce, those, the client data automatically goes into system. It automatically populates into Salesforce so that you don't have two databases, you have one. Because I guess that's what something a lot of people miss. They start a store, 
And then they get themselves and they realize, oh, I got to do something with this data. What do I do now, right? Right. And, and that's, that's always the thing is kind of like the tail wagging the dog. The, the transaction, the web transaction for the purchase is only one part of what's really dealing with the customer. So if you look at it collectively and if you can get a company early on and say, okay, we have this idea. We want to put our stuff in the web store. Well, let's talk about how do we communicate with the customers and how do we capture their data? How do we interact with them? How do we do follow-ups? How do we do support? And if you can design it from the ground up early, well, then you're in a much better place because you can minimize the amount of moving parts. The more moving parts and the more databases and the more stuff you have in there, the higher the, the maintenance cost in time and money and, and you know, the, the greater the chance that you're going to have a problem along the line. There's never any worse battle than the web guys pointing the finger at the database guys and the database guys pointing the finger back at the web guys saying, well, it's not my system, it's their system. It's working fine over here, it's not there. Yeah, so, so it ties into the concept where you say you just got to slow down when you're starting out and really think these things through before you just, you know, go guns blazing in and you're running around like all over the map. You slow down and, and in a startup, you usually have, you know, key individuals in, in, in the departments, in the areas of, of the business. And if you can allow them to sit down and talk about what they're planning to do, then you do better as well. And instead of saying to the sales guy, the new sales guy, hey, you know what, we have a CRM, go get one. And so the sales guy, independent of everything else, goes out and finds the CRM that he likes the best and implements it. Then all of a sudden, you have the engineering guy, or the operations guy out here with a supply chain management database, which is totally incongruent. And so the marketing people are saying, well, you know, we need to be able to see, you know, how many customers we have, et cetera, but their system's totally different. So now you're island, right? You have these islands or silos and, and you're into this whole notion of, well, now I need an interface engine and everything else, where if they would have all sat down together and just said, look, we know that we need to be able to do these functions. Why don't we look at how do we do it all together in a unified system, right? And maybe you'd find that something like a Salesforce could answer all the questions for you so that you have one unified data set instead of three. It makes life a lot easier. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned the silos because that's kind of what the, the company I work for, this problem we have. So basically we have like your stock brokerage, your research guys, your fixed income guys, your FX guys, they each had their own ways of you know, running everything. And then now kind of through the financial crisis, they realized, hey, you actually have some cost savings by integrating all of these together into some platform. And kind of that's, I think, what a lot of big banks have been doing. So And wealth management, we have a lot of wealth management clients and, and credit unions and, and other types of financial folks. And, and it's true, you know, pre-2006, 2007, you know, companies were running really, really, they were running fat and they, there was money all over the place and they could do whatever they wanted to do because people were going to buy and people were going to do, you know, no matter what, they had cash to burn. Well, as soon as the, uh, the market crashed, then all of a sudden it's like, well, people are laid off, but we still have the same customer base, right? I need to be able to do more with less. And this is where you get in this notion of simplification, but at the same time, you know, coordination. This is where the CRM mindset comes in, which is it's I'm in sales, but I also have to think about what the customer support people need to know or what the supply chain guys need to know and vice versa. So people become more globally aware within their own companies than they were before because they know that what they do has either an upstream or a downstream 
know, set of ramifications. Gotcha. Interesting. All right. And so that's been super helpful. Uh, you know, it kind of blew my mind about CRM uh, in this whole session. So uh, can you just kind of tell us uh, where we can find you online? And if anyone wants to get in contact with you, how can they reach you? Sure. The, the website is San Diego CRM dot com san diego spelled out crm.com or the abbreviation is s is in san and d is in diego fbcrm.com out on uh, linkedin you can look me up that's david innis and that's i-n-n-i-s-s we're on vimeo on vimeo.com about 400 some videos training videos out there and if you just search for san diego crm all one word you'll find us on vimeo but, uh, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn. That's probably the best way to do it. I have, uh, you know, 25, 26,000 direct connects. And uh, we do a lot of networking. We do a lot of, uh, you know, connection brokering between companies and people through there. And if you're in San Diego, you know, feel free to give me a call and, and uh, go down to La Jolla or go down to Coronado and sit by the ocean and, and uh, have a chat. Okay? Yeah, definitely. All right. All right, David, thanks so much. And, uh, you know, everyone, uh, you know, David, you guys go check him out on his website. So thanks so much, David. I'll let you go for the weekend. Now. All right. Listen, take care. Take Bye-bye. To get more information about running an online store, visit our website at buildmyonlinestore.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store podcast. 